I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. We are going to have part two of an episode that I'm super stoked and excited about. Our number one fan. That's just what I'm going to call you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> because she calls and, and discusses my show with me. is Linda Scharf, my sister-in-law. And she shared with us in part one about her first marriage to her love of her life. John fell madly, passionately in love with this young man. And almost six months after they were married, he passed away with no particular reason, was able to be identified and and left her 25 active LDS, sealed to a husband, which they shared no children with, and now a widow. And so what, what does that mean for a young 25-year-old woman in the LDS faith to to be sealed to a partner? And then how does that impact your future? Like, do you get remarried? How does that work out? Well, you do, because obviously you're my sister-in-law, so you, you do remarry. <laughs> She's married to my brother-in-law, David Scharf, which actually is the best of all of the Scharf boys. I, <laughs> I think so. A hundred percent. I say that a hundred percent, right? I mean, I... Love Dave. I always have. I've known him since he was like 11. He was just a baby when I came into the family, but he is by far my favorite. He has always had the sweetest heart, kindest, so compassionate, and very much comfortable and okay with his emotions and feelings, Mm -hmm. which is a rare trait in that family. And that is why he remains my favorite. (laughs) And it's the truth, though. Wouldn't you agree with me? He's very, yeah. He, not that there are other girls in the family that are very much in touch with their feelings, but I'm just saying for all of the men in that family. I think for men in general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of across the board. Men yeah. don't really talk about their feelings. Dave is just comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. But I, I love that. Yeah. When Dave and um, his first wife were going through things, we spent a lot of time on the phone. We talked constantly, several times a week hours at a time. He was in so much grief and trying to figure out. We were here in Utah. He was living in Southern California at the time. And, you know, he was trying to figure out how to raise these two kids. The mom had abandoned the kids and just left, really, just was not engaged and for several years after she left. And um, it was it was a rough time. It was a hard time for him But he was always really able to articulate his feelings. And I feel like 
in a lot of ways that helped him move forward in a much healthier way. Yeah. That's my take on things. Okay. So now I'm curious to hear how your world's collided. Did your yeah. worlds collide? I don't know. They did um, collide. You, yeah. So Michelle, you knew Dave from the time he was a young man. You were yeah. married to John. Married to John. Dave Dave grew up, got married, yes. had a wife, had a couple of children. And I, I was very close to her as well. Um, I attended the birth of her first mm. child and wasn't able to be there for the second. But I, I, I was pregnant at the time with a, a child. Um, my son was actually born six weeks after before? So they're very no, close. before. Before. Evan. Before. Yeah, yeah, before. Mine was born before, and then we ended up actually driving six weeks after Evan was born, and we blessed the boys together. So we've got a little background on Dave. Yeah. We know that he was married and divorced. He's got these two young children. We've got a little bit of background on Linda. If you missed the previous episode, go back and hear it. You'll want to hear about this newlywed widow and her vivacious personality. <laughs> yeah. and, and she can laugh through the tears and, and has this, I think it's contagious. I'm sitting in the room with you and going, man, my outlook on life is way better now that I'm here with you. Yeah. So it's- Linda, tell us. Uh, we know a little about you. We know a little about Dave. How did your worlds come together and, and walk us through going from that widowhood into opening yourself to a new relationship and remarriage and, and family and things? Well, our story is actually my favorite story. Yeah. <laughs> One evening. It's actually a great story. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it again. One evening, I showed up for our scripture study class and I had brought a sandwich from my favorite place, Italia Deli. And I tell you what, I'd go there right now if I could. That place is so delicious. Were you delicious. still living in California then? Yes, at the time? California, living the dream. Anyways, Dave sits next to me. This was in Semi Valley, right? Yeah, Simi yeah. Valley. Mm-hmm. Simi. And I probably introduced myself to him, and then I proceeded to tell him how delicious my sandwich was. I said, this sandwich is so good that if you put a piece of it on your forehead, your tongue would literally beat you to death trying to get to it. <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> and I am pretty sure I was instantaneously his number one reason for why he did not want to be there. <laughs> He's like, what have I gotten myself He's like, into? this is why I don't want to be single because of that. <laughs> anyway, my friends, because my friends and I were so inclusive, we invited Dave to come to all of the activities going on before I said that we had stuff going on all week long. And, you know, because he was the father to Kylie and Evan, they were rightfully his priority. So he came to some things and others he he didn't. And I'll tell you right now, I had absolutely zero interest in Dave. None whatsoever. In fact, he dated my best friend, Angela Zeman. Um, she's Zeman now. Angela Frederick. And uh, I fully supported this. Angela had a a son. Dave had two kids. I mean, I had their whole happily ever after planned out. And it was going to be so good. And then it didn't work out. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'd known Dave for about 10 months when I found myself needing a date. And to my surprise, we had a lovely time. Like I was really had no expectations (laughs) for this date. I just needed one. And the next day, um, I had asked him if he would help me get some new tires for my car because I did not want to be taken advantage for my ignorance. And they always try to sell you things that you don't want and don't need. And Dave's a car guy. It runs in the family. It cars. Does run <laughs> <family>. <laughs> Big, strong, sharp men and cars. Yes. Engines. Yeah. Fast cars. Yep. Yes. 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 He races. Yes, he does. Yes. They all do. 
So we went on our date like on a Friday night and the next day was Saturday was the day he had said he would help me with my tires. And so we went out and it was like the perfect family day. It's like I had these glasses on, you know, I couldn't see the kids were being angelic. Shall we say angelic? (laughs) So he came with his kids to help you get your tires. Yeah. And then he needed stuff for his car, too. So it was like, you know, we just swapped cars while we were waiting for everything to go. And then later that evening, we went to a Christmas party at the bishop's house. And, you know, Dave was there with his kids. And it, it wasn't like we were sitting there, you know, just gazing into each other's eyes from across the room or even right next to each other. We're just at a party with other people. It wasn't like, you know, we were together or anything. Well, later that night after the party, he asked me if I wanted to go back to his house to watch a movie. It was Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. This is how old I am now. (laughs) Vintage. (laughs) And so we – I went back to his house and he kissed me that night. And I tell you something right now is that I felt a peace rest on me. Hmm. It's not very often. I don't know. You just can kiss random people and just, I don't know, feel peaceful about it. I, I don't know. Maybe lots of people feel peaceful, but I did not feel as if you betrayed your first husband, which is what you've been worried about in episode one, that someday you would betray by loving again. Yes. You did not feel that. No, I didn't. In fact, I got four hours of sleep that night and I woke up the next day thinking that if I married him, that every single prayer that had been given to me and every prayer that I had offered for myself since my husband died would be answered in full by marrying him. Wow. And then I felt stupid for thinking this because we've been on one date and we kissed one time and I'm over here. Like, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Yes. And then that day was Sunday. So I went to church and I had two people track me in from the time I walked through the door. They just told me that the bishop wanted to talk to me. And so I'm on my way down the hall and then somebody else is like, the bishop wants to talk to you. And I'm like, I'm I'm coming. I'm on my way. So I get to the bishop's office and... I'm just kind of shooting the breeze. And when I don't get very good sleep, like I didn't that night, uh, my mouth hangs open and I stutter. I cannot get a single word out just straight. And I said, I'm sorry, Bishop. I did not get very good sleep last night. And he goes, neither did I. And I was like, well, uh, sorry. do you mind if I tell you something? And he goes, I really wish you would. And I said, well, last night, Dave Scharf and I decided that we like each other. And he goes, I know. And I'm thinking, how do you know? We decided after we left your house, after the party. And then I said, well, I don't know. I just have this really strange, peaceful feeling about the whole thing. And he goes, so do I. I did, this just floored me. I'm, I'm already feeling stupid. We had one date and one kiss, and I'm like planning his, my, our marriage in my brain. And here's now the bishop and now supporting. With the bishop, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's fully supporting my, my plans. And uh, the following Tuesday, we went on a double date to the Los Angeles Temple with our friends David Zeman and Angela Frederick, who were right at this point secretly engaged. The bishop was also instrumental in their union. <laughs> this guy was amazing. Was this a singles ward? Of, ward yeah. Of, okay. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's trying to match you all up. Oh, my. He had like a sixth sense. He was fantastic. Anyways, we're at the temple. We were sitting in a room together, separate from our friends. It was quiet in there. And I just felt so strongly that he needed to tell me right now that he loves me. And Did you tell him that? Yeah, he didn't do it. I was waiting. So I'm like, I'm feeling this thing. 
And no, he didn't do it. So then now it's my responsibility. I have to do it. And so I looked at him and I just said, Dave, I think I love you. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know what that means then? That was our getting engaged. Oh. Like, it wasn't like he got down on one knee or anything. It was, I mean, I think we both were like deer in the headlight, shocked. Like, what is happening here so fast? And I was on this high. It, it was amazing. I was, and then I started thinking for a second. So that's it. Like, there's no like whirlwind romance. There's no really build up to anything. It was just like God put us together and said, all right, you, you two. So here I'm on this high and we're driving home with our friends. So it wasn't like we could really talk about anything. And then the, the plane was crashing. It was coming down hard and fast. <laughs> and, and then I had to just ask him a question, you know, the important question, the, the question that all important people should be asking. We got back to his, his house and, and our friends left. And I just said, Dave, do you have life insurance? <laughs> Because, because that's what every because widower. Only a widow. <laughs> Absolutely. People always want your advice, you know, when you go to weddings. And I'm like, life insurance. Life don't insurance. underestimate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And buy twice as much as you think you need. Right. Right. So he did have life insurance. So then we could proceed with these shenanigans. That was okay moving forward. But I, I thought, oh, my gosh. Life is so hard. I, I don't want to do that again. But if there's money, that could. <laughs> Just so... I also told him that since we didn't really date before we got married, that he had to date me for the rest of my life. And I have to say, he has done an excellent job of that. So did he you get married me. right away after that? We dated for five days and got engaged. He still had a date with somebody else, like planned, when we got engaged. I told him he could go with her if he wanted, but he figured since he was going to marry me, he'd probably... He probably shouldn't date other people fine. at this point. I'll just cancel that. And then, anyway, seven weeks later, we were married. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask, Michelle, from your outsider family perspective, perspective. Were you guys supportive of this? I mean, that, that's very fast. I was very supportive of this. You were. You could just feel like this is right. This is good. We're going to run with they this. They came to Utah. I can't remember when you came to Utah, but it was before you got married. Yeah. He actually came out at Christmas time to meet my family. Oh, okay. When the so, first kiss was at the Christmas party. So still yes, the same Christmas season. By our house. <laughs> yeah. So you must have stopped by our house there. And that's when we went to Target. Yep. And no, I fell in love with her immediately. And I, Dave's first wife's energy level was never very high. And Dave is a very calm, mellow, very chill person anyway. And her just bigger than life presence, I thought, this is so good for him. This is so good. And um, I was just really excited. I never had a question at all. I don't know what the rest of the family thought. You, I, we didn't talk about it. That but I'm amazing, obviously. But you yeah. could recognize it right away. This was a beautiful addition mm -hmm. to his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right, Linda, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want to hear about newlywed life the second time. Is that a thing? Um, yeah, it We'll is. be right back. <laughs> Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, 
we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so you and Dave had known each other for close to a year, Mm -hmm. but dated five days, married seven weeks later. Mm -hmm. Now what? Well, the week that we got married, I had strep throat, so that was awesome. I had a really hard time just because I was sick, not being able to pack up my things and and get out of the, the room that I was renting. And so my family came over, and they very unceremoniously ripped everything that was precious off of my walls. John was an artist, right? And he had made all these beautiful things for me, and it all just came off the walls and into boxes, and I just wanted to die. This is the part where I was, you know, the betrayal. I didn't know how John would feel about me putting anything up at the house we lived together. And Dave also had emotional things that he was working through. His marriage had fallen apart. He was over there picking up the pieces of his life. And one thing that I have to say that I was really grateful for was that Dave was totally different than John. Hmm. Brilliant, but just in other ways. Like I mentioned before, he's into cars. That cannot be overstated. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Uh, Dave is a really great person to talk to. He always, I mean, he's mentioned many times about how his parents did lots of self-help courses when he was very young Mm -hmm. and they would play these tapes in in the background. And here he is as a little kid listening to these self-help tapes and he'd think to himself, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So he always says that he got more out of it than anybody. A hundred percent. He did. I I will testify. I'm sorry if, if the rest of the family is listening to this, but I can testify. I think that he gained the most out of that. He, he Dave, Dev, definitely is a very wise person. And he's the kind of person that just really makes life happen. And I love that about him. So you said you had met Dave when he was 11. Uh, when Dave was 11 years old, he wanted to earn some money. He actually might have been nine. I have to go back. Well. Yeah. He was young. Anyways, he was 11 and he wanted to earn some money, maybe to buy a four-wheeler or something. And so somebody paid him to paint the entire outside of their house. Can you imagine giving an 11, any 11-year-old you know a mm-hmm. can of paint and a paintbrush and say, hey, make this look pretty? No, because I have a 10-year-old <laughs> and a 12-year-old, and there's no way. Make sure you stay in the lines. Yeah. This yeah. is very common for this family, I will say, though. Like, all of the boys are very entrepreneurial. Everybody in the family is entrepreneurial. Yeah, actually, everybody Everybody. Is. Yeah, I, nobody not one of them is, is employed, employed by someone else. By they someone have else. all been on. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> the tapes worked on everybody. I might need to get a set of those. <laughs> anyway, so he did such a good job painting the outside of this house that these people then paid him to paint the entire inside of the house. What? I know. Wow, crazy. I think. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's great. When he was eighteen years old, he got his contractor's license and. 
He found it very difficult to sell jobs. This is another thing that I think is so brilliant about Dave is he had this skill. He became a roofing contractor and he was going to, you know, go out and make money. And nobody would buy from him. He had a hard time selling the jobs. So he went out and he found somebody in their 40s to be a sales guy for him because, you know, older, wiser. And this guy would go out and sell the jobs and then Dave would show up with his crew to rip off the roof and start putting a new one on. And then the people would say, and where's the owner of the company? And the sales guy would say, oh, it's this guy right here. And then they would be like, ah, that's a kid. But at this point, they had signed contracts. So they were <laughs> in it to win it. That's a kid. Yeah. No, he was 18. Did you not catch? He was 18 years old, but that's and he, still he was a roofing kid. contractor. That's, a that, kid. that's what yes. I'm thinking. That's no, still I, I a know kid. it is a kid. But I mean, can you uh, imagine? No. You're like he's gonna rip my roof off mm. my house. Wait, yeah, you're gonna do what? Yeah, and I'm gonna pay you how many dollars to do? Yeah. This better not have any leaks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went from being single and only having to worry about myself to being a wife and a stepmom instantaneously. I went from activities every day to almost no social life whatsoever. I was shell-shocked into family life, potty training and making meals and all the things. And a lot more laundry. Insta-mom. I know. <laughs> and John's I, not here to do yeah, it. A little bit of, you know, angry phase of grief right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whose laundry is this? And uh, both times I got married, I went through a bit of a depression. And I think that this is normal. Mm-hmm. And most people go through this, whether they say anything or not, because here I am again, trying to figure out who, who I, am, I am, who I am in this situation. And it might really sound easy if you're not in it. It's very easy to tell people, hmm, so easy. You've got this or that going on. But when you're in the thick of things, it's basically clear as mud. So once we were visiting, newly after we were married, we were visiting Dave's family in Northern California, and his sister Jennifer asked me a question about my marriage to John. And we both watched Dave shut down hardcore. And over the years, Dave and I have spent a lot of time talking about the particulars of our situation, not being sealed to Dave, you know, kids who's sealed to who. The conclusion that we've come to is that God is in charge and that we both really take comfort in that. So what was the question that she asked? I, I don't think I've heard the story. I don't remember. It just was something about my husband, John. But I, and I don't remember the particulars. But I just, it was hard for Dave to sit through that. We, we, I did, we both watched him go from being alert and attentive to what was going on to just kind of like glossy eyed, staring at the ground. Because I remember when you were telling me your story and and he was there, he seemed fine with it. But I do remember, I did ask you, I was super active at the time. And I was like, well, what is this going to mean? Like, he already has kids. You don't have kids with this other guy. Are you going to break your ceiling? Like, I I had asked you that. And you're like, nope, I'm not breaking my ceiling. Can't betray. (laughs) Right. And this is where the peace comes in and letting God be in charge. Because if God, if it feels right to be with John, fine. If it feels right to be with Dave, fine. I'm happy to let someone else decide that, someone who's a lot smarter than I am. So right from the get-go, though, I set some pretty unrealistic expectations for myself. I decided I was going to be an amazing stepmom and that we are all going to get along. And I'm going to get those kids in a shape and they are going to listen the first time and never talk back. You know, all the good ideas when you make stuff up in your brain. (laughs) I'm I'm so good at that. 
I found quickly, I, well, I really like myself as a person. I enjoy who I am, but I found quickly that I did not like who I became around my kids. And unconsciously, I found that I began to look for things to be mad at. Hmm. I, and it's just natural. Living with people, things happen and things annoy you. And here are, I've got these tiny humans and then they would do something and I think, oh, that bothers me. And then somebody, same person, different person, do something else. And I think, that is really annoying. And it just was a totally subconscious. I didn't even realize it. And then next thing you know, I am looking for, and then I'm really angry. And I began to carry around a heaviness and a dread for when they were coming home. I found myself in arguments constantly with tiny humans. I mean, how did that even happen? I went from being totally in charge of my life to all of a sudden I am losing an argument right now. To a tiny human. <laughs> yeah. How did you're six? How did <laughs> how did we get here? I've I've stooped to your level. I don't even know what's happening now. <laughs> so, and then also being a glutton for punishment, I noticed that, you know, my biological clock was ticking. So Dave was not so excited. Because this is basically where his marriage fell apart. You know, she suffered severe postpartum after the kids were born. And so he was not excited to add children to the family. It brought up really a lot of angst for him. And after, you know, I had Hayden, my oldest son, he had a hard time, I think, bonding with the baby, holding the baby. The baby would cry. He'd give it back. He doesn't want me. (laughs) And that happened with Jesse, too. And then I think finally after... Lil, Rachel was born. She's my third. <laughs> After Rachel was born, I think he realized that I was going to still stick around. So how many children do you have together? We have six. You have six and then the two, so there's eight. No, total. Oh, so you have you biologically birthed yeah, four. four. But you mother six. Okay. Yes. Hayden, Jesse, Rachel, and Lily. Yes. And Lily is just... She's a redhead. So <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> yeah. So you should know. You should know. <laughs> Some things that Dave and I have talked a lot about is how my first husband is out of the picture, right? He's not over there causing any problems. But dealing with an ex-spouse, I think, is like playing the game Battleship. I'm sending a missile to B-5. Did I hit their tugboat? <laughs> Submarine? Mm-hmm. Paddleboard? Anything? <laughs> And, you know, it's like, you know, you're holding your, your cards close to your vest. And also that being a step parent is an easy person to be angry at. Yeah. In this situation, I'm an innocent bystander in what happened to their family. But at times I was seen as the reason their parents weren't together anymore. And so that was really hard. I mean, just knowing that's how they feel and knowing that that's not the truth of it. But then also not really being able to explain I didn't have anything to do with that. I'm so sorry this happened in your life. Also, I was the only one that got to deal with them all day because their dad was working. work. Pretty quickly after we got married, we decided I was worth more money not working than I was Mm -hmm. working. So that was also hard because there I never realized what a huge social outlet work was for me. And then here are these precious kids and they were so angry. Just and that's really kind of hard to see. Angry Mm -hmm. babies. Mm -hmm. And they were also angry for things out of their control. Yeah. And then also not even realizing why they were so, they didn't even know why they were angry. I don't even think that they knew they were angry. They were just right. That was their existence. Right. Yeah. So that was really hard. That was hard dealing with that and hard. 
And then my anger came, you know, and I'm noticing all these things that annoy me. So there just was a lot of anger <laughs> thrown into the pot. There now, was. after a few years, I realized that I was doing that. And I had to just make a sub, like a conscious choice. Mm. You know what? There are kids. This is a kid thing. It's okay. It's okay to not get mad at that. And I have to You like, don't have to be on the six-year-old's level. No. There was nobody to tell me that. <laughs> Who gave you permission to not be six? Mm. I stopped seeing the therapist. That was a bad idea. Anyways, they were going back and forth constantly. And I have to say also for kids, that is exhausting. That's so hard. There is never any rest. And when the kids were in their teens, their mom said that we could just have them. And we moved to Utah. So that was hard on everybody because we used to have a break from each other. You know, they'd go for a couple of days and then they'd come back for a couple of days. And so now we just were constantly in each other's faces. There's no reprieve for anyone. That was really hard. And during this time, I was having a nervous breakdown. Things were pretty bad to the point where police were called, needing to be called. And... It wasn't just once. It was multiple times. Property damage had happened, and we were needing to protect people from getting hurt. So there was a lot of yelling and crying by everyone, the offended, the offender, the innocent, and it was really just kind of an unbearable point in our lives. And there were a lot of consequences that were being shelled out naturally, but I spent a lot of time, a lot of this time, specifically praying and seeking divine answers. And I just want you to know that there were a lot of answers that came. With that, we're going to take a break and we will be right back to catch up with you um, where this all leads. Incredible story. It's never easy, right? Life is never no. one, two, three. Let's just have the good times roll. It would be so nice. It would be so nice. <laughs> We're back with my sister-in-law, Linda Scharf. Just, you've been through so many challenges and it would be so nice to hear. And we married and we lived happily ever after. It was so easy. It was so easy. And it's been just a joy. And and unfortunately, that's just not the way life ever works out for any of us, really. I don't think right? so. No. I don't think so either. That's why I wanted to do the show. That's why you listen to the show. You're like... Yes, everyone, we're all in this mess together. And it would be great if we could tap into that to realize I'm doing hard things, you're doing hard things, you're doing hard things. We can all do these hard things together. But remember that maybe we need to give each other a little bit of allowance when we're on the road, when we're in the grocery store. With ourselves. With ourselves. Yeah, be kind to ourselves, right? To, mm -hmm. to With the tiny people we live with. Yeah, mm -hmm. with the little people that have their own grief and their own sadness and their own disappointments in life. And, you know, life is lovely and wonderful and amazing. And it's also just filled with a lot of hard work. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes, too, is really difficult to try and look at a situation from someone else's perspective. Because yeah. you're just in your own brain all day long. Yeah. But that is a, definitely, I think, a skill that I've yeah. gained. You know, you said something earlier that it's easy to, like, look at other people's stuff and go, oh, I have the answers. And you're like, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's like clear as mud. Mm -hmm. 
You know, what's interesting is that we only can look into other people's lives with our own our own view from our own perspective, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have all the information. We don't have their life experiences. We don't have the experiences of the other people involved. So we can think that we might know the solutions or the answers for other people, but really there's no way we can ever really know, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's such – we're all living these very unique lives with very unique lenses our life own personal it's life is very personal mm-hmm. very personal so tell us where do we go from here you've got teenagers that are getting cops called on and the house is just feeling a lot of tension and there's not a lot of peace and there's children in your home that are fearful and there's other children in the home that are being angry and outbursting and i think everyone was fearful yeah I, I think also being just fearful of you have this angst and anxiety and, and anger going on inside and not even knowing why. So that was really hard. Like I had said before that I spent a lot of time praying and seeking divine answers and I had to be really quiet and really listen. But I think when you take the time to really plan things out in your mind and take the time to meditate and think on things that the answers really can come. And it's answers that I think for me were totally unexpected. The number one answer that I came to was that that this huge realization that I am the only person I have any control over. I'd spent, you know, a long time trying to control this, trying to control that, trying to make stuff happen. And also, I'm sure you know, when people have tried to control you throughout your life, (laughs) you don't appreciate it. (laughs) Well, you know how well that works for anyone with me. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so hard because there again, you know, through my whole story, you just want to feel like there's something in your life you have control over. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you are the only person you have any control over. So also some of the answers that I received was that I was to stop confronting whoever was out of control. If somebody got hurt physically or emotionally, I was not to intervene as far as yelling and get out of here and whatever. I was just to scoop up whoever was injured and tell that person that I love them and give them a hug and tell them I am so sorry that that happened to you and then to keep them by my side until they felt better. And this was transformative because it changed the entire dynamic in our house. It also went against every mama bear instinct that I have. And, you know, those instincts are strong. You see some injustice happening and, you know, you got to swoop in there and fix all the things. And I stopped doing that. It was that was really hard because I stopped yelling. There was less yelling at our house. Because I wasn't doling out consequences left and right, there was less animosity. And just slowly the dynamic in our home started to change. And I wasn't always good at it. There were a few times I fell back and then I was sorry and reminded as to why I wasn't doing those things anymore. And we mentioned a little bit ago that we have six beautiful children together. And I have to just tell you that I am really pleased that not a single one of them is in jail. That's kind of a big deal. Small victories. Actually, that's a big victory. (laughs) And And I have to say, the one child in particular uh, is able to provide his own living and care for himself. And 
Very well. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, also, you know, he's also spent a lot of time with Dave. And I think that that was transformative. Dave was able to just day in, day out, being in the details of all of the live. It's made a big difference. So Poor Dave. He has so much on his shoulders. Okay, Linda. So we've already talked about what you think resilience is or was as you went through widowhood and things. We've heard this story. Now you're you're in a new marriage. You've got this growing family. What about resilience in step parenting? I know there's a lot of step parents in the world, whether it's from divorce or widowhood or a combination of both. What can you teach us? What have you learned in your time as a stepmom? Well, I found that there's a lot of really hard days out there and it's okay to have hard days. And it is okay to give up at the end of the day. You know what? I am done with today. I'm going to go to bed now. And that's it. And the next day, I think, I don't know, just part of my nature, I'm obsessively compulsively myself. I would wake up the next morning and then I would have a thought come to me. You know what? Fine. You're going to do that. I'm going to do this now. (laughs) And so I just would start. I... I was constantly coming up with ideas and thoughts and plans and things. And I think if you really keep the perspective that it's kind of hard not to make it all about yourself. Well, I'm trying really hard to be a good stepmom. Well, I'm trying really hard to make a fun time in your life. And to really just kind of take their perspective and see what they want to do. I also think it's not always vital to do what they want to do. So tell us. Any other takeaways you have on resilience or life or perspective or being the the stepmom, the wife, the person, the, the widow, the remarried, anything, any other gems of knowledge from your years of experience? I have uh, some really big thoughts about being a step parent or a healthy adult or just a regular person. Not everything in your life needs to involve or surround the children. I think I kind of went into things thinking oh, everything needs to be a family activity or we can't go here because we don't have the kids today. We'll have to wait until they come back. And that's not true. They may feel left out a little bit here and there, but your life is still happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to continue on just doing things. It's important to show them what a healthy, normal relationship looks like. Dave and I, we love each other so much that it might be uncomfortable for other people to be around. (laughs) (laughs) We are constantly hugging and kissing in the kitchen, uh, wherever we are. We hold hands. We just really enjoy each other's personalities. I think that it's really important to continue your hobbies and activities that bring you joy, independent of anyone else. That's something that Dave and I actually talk about a lot in our lives, even today, is we're kind of fascinated how, how many marriages there are where people feel like they can't do something without their spouse. They have to have, you know, or get permission to do something. And that just boggles his mind. What do you mean you have to get permission for that? <laughs> I, if I'm going to do something, I go do the thing, whatever I'm going to go do. <laughs> right. You know, in our garage, we have cars, a lot of cars, as I mentioned before. And we're fortunate enough to put a lift in the garage. And so Dave constantly has something on the lift. We had a Corvette on there that he was repainting and an amazing color that he's very begrudging of this color now because it takes forever to do. Then he had to take that off because he has this truck that he's been putting new. I have all the wrong words. 
pipes, tubes, turbos, <laughs> uh, mufflers, mufflers <laughs> cutting things off, changing b- the body panels, uh, giving this a new paint job, realigning lines. Uh, he, the guy is in the garage all the time. And I am not begrudging of that because that is his happy place. But the other, the, on the flip side of that, one thing that I am super grateful for is if I say, I'm going to go out with some friends. He does not get, he doesn't bat an eye. Have a good time. He tells me to have a great time. He loves that I go and do things for myself. I, you know, in dating, I have to say, I miss that about, I'm very confused by people of today's mentality because men will say things like, They'll list out all their hobbies and they're like, I'm hoping to find like a hobby buddy like for these things. And I'm like, I'm not going to go camping with you. Like if you want to go camping, I never went skiing with John. I'm like, have a good time. I didn't see ya. Like I never felt like I was missing out. I didn't care. And I find it odd. And I think it's because the men that we're married to, it's just an odd thing for me. They're independent. Yeah, they're independent and I'm independent. And it's like, why do we have to? We can share our life together when we're at home together, but the rest of the time, can we just live life? It's totally fine for you to go and do yeah. something. See, and, and I have learned independence. Yeah. yeah. That did not come naturally to me. And I was like, what? You don't want to go with me to the grocery store, Dave? I have to go by myself? <laughs> now I'm like, I don't want you to come. You will hurry me along. <laughs> and I want to look at things. Yeah. I think that it's also really important to continue to date your spouse. Yeah. I think it's important 100%. to date yourself. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite activities. I love me. <laughs> At the end of the day, you have to live with yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and all this this turmoil that I've gone through. And, and not just not just my stepkids, my own biological kids. Mm-hmm. I, I love all of them. But at the end of the day, you have to live with yourself and whatever you are carrying around on the inside. And if you don't like it, that is not someone else's responsibility to make you feel better. It's not someone else's responsibility to make you happy. That is your job to figure that out. And it's only work. It's just work that you have to do. And if you do choose to do that work, it's everyone that benefits. The benefits of that are just so far reaching. And then you get to have peace of mind because peace of mind also comes with a lightness of heart. I spent a lot of years emotionally beating myself up. And I tell you, I was brutal to myself. And I don't do that anymore. I just want to be nice to me. And I have learned to just forgive myself quickly because I know how ugly it is to not. That is beautiful. Those are great. I wrote down like everything you just said. And you and I must have some similarities at like our base personality because... (laughs) So much of this is so powerfully resonating with me. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you. I, I just want to be nice to myself. I just want yeah. to be nice. You know, there was a point where I was homeschooling my children. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I did this for a few a few years. And somebody called me up one day and they were like, how is it going? And I said, well, it's going all right. I'm being really nice to myself. The kids are mad. They wish I'd be nice to them. <laughs> so... <laughs> Learned a few things. <laughs> Let's be nice to each other. I love that song, Megan Trainer. I don't know about you, but I love me. That song is awesome. <laughs> I, sometimes I'll t- put it on and I'll just sing it. But I have to say, it was actually recently, a couple months ago, maybe less than that, I had this profound experience and I was looking in a mirror and 
I really caught my eyes, but I saw myself not just the reflection of who I am. I saw myself for the first time. And I realized I really love me. And I really experienced that self-love. And I've waited 52 years. Like, I thought I liked myself. I thought I was okay with who I was. But I had this moment just recently that I really understood that I I love me. I love who I am. And I love all of the stories that, that have happened to me, the things that have happened that have shaped me, the way that I wasn't always great. I didn't always handle things right or, or well. And yet I give myself permission to be human. And I decided, you know what? I'm pretty cool. And I really like who I am. And it's okay. It's okay if nobody likes who I am. Well, you don't have to be perfect at everything. Yeah. Or even really good. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a profound thing to get there. And I really, I really think that probably most people have not really experienced a moment of self-love. I literally was able to feel love for myself in my heart, like palpably feel love for myself. And it was life-changing to me. I love that. So it, it was amazing. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I can testify, you have, you've always had a healthy dose of confidence, of your humor. You're not ashamed of where you come from, who you are. There's, there's no shame about any part of you. And I, I have always found that just really tender and beautiful. I'm super glad that you're in my family. And, you know, one thing I, I've experienced a lot on widow groups, I don't know if you're a part of any. Did you, nope. did you ever grow up? That was like before the internet, really. Well, the internet was around, but I'm the kind of person that I like to worry about things for other people. And so, right. I, you know, I'm collecting all these things. And then I became a widow and I was like, oh, here's your problems back. I just, I can't, I, I couldn't handle listening to anybody else's problems. So, no, I didn't join any widow groups. Yeah. I totally do a thing like that now. Yeah. Well, so being a part of them is interesting. And sometimes you just have to take a break because it's just too much. But one thing that uh, you triggered in me, just having you here today and thinking about your story and thinking about Dave, he is our last standing sharf male. The boys, the oldest boy, Dan, died uh, several years before John passed away. and um, He died right after we got married, actually. Yeah. Before we had... We had our wedding open house at your house. Right. I think it was that same weekend he died. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was because the family was at our place mm-hmm. when we got word. Mm-hmm. And um, that was just a tragic time. My husband took that very difficult. Dan was more like a father to him than his own father as far as really being influential in my husband's life. And um, so that was really difficult. Then John's father died just shortly after John passed away on the day that Brent Taylor was killed. Oh, same day. Same day. Um, So we only have David Scharf left as patriarch, Scharf male of of our family. And he's the youngest. Hmm. But, you know. But what a stud. But he what is, a stud. Aren't you glad you have him? Yeah. He is amazing, and he is, a, he is a stud. And I have to say, I don't know when the last time I stopped by your house was. You guys had us me over for something. Anyway, it's been a while. And I walked into the shop, and, and, and the sh- garage has been really transformed into a shop, and it's been expanded and, and whatnot from the last time I had been there. And 
He's got it all stickered up and very much like his brother. John had a, a shop that he used to have on one of the properties that we owned. And um, I walk in there and I feel a lot of mixed emotions, I guess. And then I hear this voice and it sounds like my husband. And all of a sudden, David comes around the door and he's standing there, and I just burst into tears. It just was so much. I just burst into absolute tears, and he just came and gave me the biggest hug and held me, and I just, you know, snottily cried all over his shoulder, <laughs> and he let me. But he's so good. He's such a good man. I love him so much, and I'm glad that you get to have him. Yeah, me too. It's nice. They have a similar voice. There's. It's nice having Dave in the world. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for coming on and sharing these stories with us. I, We could do so many different stories with the challenges and life that you've had and, and the fact that you are able to just constantly have a good attitude. You, you do get things done with things at night, like you said, but you are the kind of person that when you wake up in the morning, it's like, today's a new day. And you hop out of bed and you, you hit the ground running and you're like... What can I do? Surprise. To... I thought of something else. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly Watch what it. it is. Surprise. I thought of something else. That's exactly what it is. I love you. I love talking to you. Thank you for you've listened to me rattle off in my tears and in my grief. And you've seen me at my very worst. And when I wasn't handling grief well at all, a lot of people will say to me, you're so strong. You've done this so well. And it's like, oh, yeah, you didn't call me on the night that I was nearly blacked out drunk or when I was blacked out drunk. <laughs> those were not the nights that I was on Facebook. <laughs> well, and I think sometimes those comments that people make, you are so strong, you are handling this so well, mm -hmm. that also puts an unrealistic expectation on your shoulders. And of, for everyone else. I that's have to gonna, do this yeah. strong and well. I had to get to the point where I'm like, I have to let go of this. I am not doing well. When are we just going to start telling people they're mediocre? Yeah. You know what? <laughs> you're doing a great okay. job being mediocre. <laughs> yeah. Linda, I... You're doing a great job limping through this. <laughs> I have loved I have loved these two episodes now that we've been able to share with you. I've loved um, your realness and how you'll just say, you know, sometimes it wasn't going well and sometimes you really struggled. I love your positive attitude. I think we can all agree that is contagious. And we're just grateful that you would spend a couple hours with us over these two episodes to share. And we wish you the best in the new adventures that you're currently facing. Like Michelle said, that could be several other episodes. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening. If you get a minute, go ahead, give us a rating and a review wherever you find your podcast. And if you or someone you know has a real story about real life that you're willing to share, Contact us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. We'd love to share your story as well. And whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the trials others are dealing with. Have a great day. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.